Are you learning to lose? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text out of Genesis 32, Pastor Charles points out four ways you can learn to lose. First involves wrestling. Second involves crippling. Third involves clinging. And fourth involves limping. Today's message, learning to lose. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Genesis chapter 32, let me begin reading at verse 22 through verse 32. I am reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and therein the reading of God's holy word is this. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. I want to label the message, learning to lose. Learning to lose. Hoping not to miss God's will and purpose and agenda for his life, a young man joined a monastery to give his life to total spiritual concentration away from the distractions of the world around him. His first day there, he sought out the oldest and wisest man in the community and asked him, Father, after all these years, do you still find yourself wrestling with the devil in your life? 
Oh, no, son. Father answered, I don't wrestle with the devil any longer. Now I wrestle with God. Wrestle with God, said the young man incredulously. What in the world could you expect to win wrestling against God? Oh, no, son, said the old man again. I don't expect to win anything. I hope to lose. That's the message I want you to leave this message with today. Friends, the Christian life is a battleground and not a playground. There is an enemy of our soul that is real and powerful and determined to undermine and or overthrow our faith in Christ. We must strive diligently, constantly, and faithfully for spiritual victory. However, I contend that striving for defeat is just as important as striving for victory. In fact, I hope you'll see in the message of the text that defeat is the key to spiritual victory. I'm not playing word games here. This is the reality of the paradoxical Christian life. We live by dying. We find our lives by losing our lives. We receive by giving. We become leaders by becoming servants, and yes, we win by losing. As we strive for victory over the flesh, the world, and the devil, there are two battles in our lives that we need to lose. There is something in us, friends, that keeps fighting to bring God down to our level. That's a battle we need to lose. And there's something in us that keeps resisting God's efforts to lift us up to his level. That, too, is a battle that we need to lose. Spiritual victory comes when you learn to lose with God. What does it mean to win with God by losing to God? The answer to that question is found in the dramatic story of our text, which records Jacob's late night wrestling match. At the time of our text, if I may give you the background, the time of our text, Jacob is on his way home in order to face his brother Esau. Esau and Jacob are the first twins in history. Their father Isaac prayed for his barren wife Rebecca that God would open her womb and God answered the prayer. But Rebecca's Pregnancy was unusually painful. And when she sought the Lord about the matter, 
Genesis 25, verse 23, tells us that God explained to her that there are two peoples living in your womb, and two nations will be divided from you. God further explains concerning these two nations that would come from her womb that one would be greater than the other, and this is the big news. The older would be the servant of the younger. Rebekah would give birth to two children, Jacob and Esau. Esau came out first. As a baby, his skin was red and hairy, and they named him Esau, which means in Hebrew, red and hairy. His brother came out immediately after him, clutching, clinging to Esau's heel as if to say, get back here, I should come out first. And they named the second boy Jacob, which in Hebrew means heel grabber. Before Genesis 25 is over, we see that heel-grabbing Jacob lived up to his name. He stole from Esau the blessing of the birthright. The birthright was the blessing that would go to the oldest male child in a household. It would give him two-thirds of his father's estate. It would make him the de facto head of the family, and the lineage of the family would go through that oldest brother. But heel-grabbing Esau, or Jacob, was on his game and tricked his brother Esau out of a life of blessings with nothing but a bowl of soup. When you drop down to 27th chapter of Genesis, their father Isaac is old and sick and blind and dying. And he instructs Esau, who was his favorite, to go out and kill wild animal and cook it up for him to eat. And he says, when you do that and come back, I'll, I'll give you a special blessing too. Their mother, who loved Jacob, overheard this, and Rebekah schemed with Jacob. They prepared a meal and dressed Jacob like Esau, and before Esau could return, again his brother had stolen his father's blessing. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 41 Esau declares that the time of mourning for my father is upon me, but, but, but when my father has died and the time of mourning is over, I will kill my brother if it's the last thing I do. Word of Esau's intentions reached Rebekah, and she sent Jacob away to Haran to live with her brother Laban. And if you're a Bible reader, you may know that in so doing, all she did was hook up one heel grabber to another heel grabber. There at Laban's house, 
Jacob fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. He loved her so much that he agreed to work with Laban for seven years to win the right to marry her. But on his wedding night, Laban slipped the older and, excuse me, uglier daughter into Jacob's tent. For real, the Bible says she was weak in the eye. I don't even know what that means. But Jacob woke up married to the wrong woman. But he so, brothers, he so loved Rachel that he worked another seven years to win the right to marry her. And after that, he worked another six years for his father Laban until he decided it was time for him to move out on his own. But his uh, father-in-law slash uncle did not want to give up the free labor and refused to let him go. But old heel-grabbing Jacob did what came naturally, and before it was over, not only did he escape Laban's house, but he left with most of Laban's possessions. Now we're at the text. Jacob has left Laban's house where he has burned a bridge. He is now headed home where he has burned another bridge and is forced to face his brother Esau who has vowed to kill him. He sends his servants ahead of him to bribe his brother Esau, but that does not work. Then he sends all of his possessions before him in caravans, hoping to appease his brother Esau. That did not work. And then, finally, he sent his wives and his children and his family ahead of him. Not a very manly thing to do. He sent him ahead to face Esau while he stayed back alone. And this is where we find Esau, or rather Jacob, at the text. He is at the Jabbok River. He is all alone. He will finally have to face his brother-turned-enemy Esau the next day. He is up that night thinking and praying and worrying and plotting and scheming a way to get out of a fight. But in the darkness of the night, an unidentified man attacked Jacob. I hate to ruin the suspense of a good story, but Jacob lost the fight. But what I want you to see is that in the ironic providence of God, by losing, Jacob prevailed. And his story will show us in the text that to win with God, you must learn how to lose to God. What does it mean to learn to lose? Four lessons in the text. Are you interested, church? Four lessons in the text. First, learning to lose involves wrestling. Learning to lose involves wrestling. This passage is inspired scripture. This is the living word of God. It is also, however, compelling literature, evidenced by the fact that the story is written in real time. So there are many passages where you know what's going on before the person in the story does. But here, 
The reader doesn't understand what's happening to Jacob until Jacob does. But this dramatic way of telling the story leaves a lot of mystery and it's caused a lot of confusion. So let me begin there by asserting that what we have read in the text this morning was not a dream or a vision or a figment of Jacob's imagination. That night, Jacob was in a real fight that produced a real injury that resulted in a real limb. It was a real fight. Let me drop some bigger news on you. The enemy he fought with that night was God. Verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone, and the men wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. The text says it was a man at the beginning of the story, but it was more than a mere man. In fact, in the New King James Version of the Bible, man is capitalized, a hint from the translators that this opponent may have been in human form, but he was more than just a human being. He did not wrestle with a mere man that night. And moreover, he did not wrestle merely with an angel. If so, it is, again, capital A, angel. The angel of the Lord, a Christophany. Some believe that the Lord Jesus Christ before he showed up on earth in Bethlehem's barn, made a special appearance in Genesis to beat up Jacob. The bottom line is, Jacob wrestled with God that night. Don't speculate, just listen to the post-fight interview and listen to Jacob speak for himself in verse 30. Jacob named the place Penuel because I have seen God face to face and my life has been delivered. Jacob was in a real fight that night. Add to that that Jacob was fighting against God himself. Here's even bigger news. Not only was God the opponent God was the aggressor. When I was a child in church and would hear the story of Jacob's wrestling match, it would often be presented as a lesson on how to prevail with God in prayer. And it was said that if you want to get your prayers answered, you got to learn how to hold on and say, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. That interpretation denies the plain reading of the text. Verse 24 says, and Jacob was left alone. Listen to the next sentence. It does not say, and Jacob wrestled with a man. It says a man wrestled with Jacob. Jacob was not looking for a fight that night. Jacob was minding his own business. He had burned a bridge behind him with his uncle Laban. He had already burned a bridge ahead of him with his brother Esau and was forced to face him who had declared he would kill him the next time he saw him. 
Do you think in the midst of that that Jacob is just randomly picking a fight with a stranger in the woods in the middle of the night? No. Jacob is by the brook that night thinking and scheming and hoping to get out of a fight that morning. But he found himself in a fight for his life because God attacked Jacob. Let me try that again. God attacked Jacob. And God left this story on record to warn you today and to warn me that there will be times in life when you are minding your own business and with what E.K. Bailey called his Jehovistic hand, God will reach out and grab you and throw you in the dirt and wrestle with you to ruin your agenda for your life. There are times when your divine ally will become your divine opponent. Don't be surprised if at some point in your life, young people, God will ambush you and start wrestling with you. He will fight against us to bring to submission our pride, self-sufficiency, and moral laziness. Have you ever had God to wrestle with you when you had your plans for life? We don't like that. We've got three enemies of the, of the soul, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And we readily recognize that we need God to fight against the devil if we're going to be victorious. And we readily recognize that we need God to fight against the world if we're going to be victorious. What we don't like to admit is that we also need God to fight against the flesh if we are going to be victorious. If God's will is going to be accomplished in my life, there are times when I need God to wrestle against the enemy in me. So there'll be times when I'm minding my own business, got my own plan for my life, think I know how things are supposed to turn out, and... Out of the blue, God shows up to fight. I just want to say thank God that God wrestles with us. Can I say that again? Thank God that God wrestles with us. Scholars call it restraining grace. Do you know what restraining grace is? Restraining grace means there are some things that you have not done, not because you were so holy, but because God kept you from it. Lord have mercy. There are some decisions you would have made. There are some places you would have gone. There are some things you would have done that would have led your life out of the will and plan of God. 
You had your mind made up to do it your way, and the only reason you are where you're supposed to be is that God didn't give you peace to do it. He didn't give you the opportunity to do it. He didn't give you the resources to do it. Thank God there are times he wrestles with you to keep you in his will. Y'all can sit there if you want to. I'm not going anywhere till I get all of this off of me today. <laughs> Learning to lose involves wrestling. Number two. Learning to lose involves crippling. Verse 24 records the fact of the fight. It also ends by telling us the length of the fight. That's Maybe that's the bigger thing you need to get. It's huge that God fought with Jacob. You want to know what's even bigger than that? They fought until the breaking of the day. God and Jacob fought all night long. Here is an illustration of how determined my flesh is to have its own way. Look at Jacob. He's alone. It's dark. He's by the Jabbok River, which means he has nowhere to run. Scholars tell us that Jacob at this stage of his life is somewhere around a hundred years old. He's not a young man. And when someone identified a sailor and attacked him all alone by a river in the middle of the night, this old man didn't give up or give in. He didn't say, take whatever I got, just spare me. He fought back. And not only did he fight back, he kept fighting all night long. So that when the text will later say, the sun was coming up. And Jacob was still fighting. This is the way our sinful nature is. My sinful flesh will fight if it has to all night long to get its own way. Sin keeps hanging on. It refuses to give up. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says that the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh and these two are contrary against one another so that you cannot do what you want to do. The flesh is determined to have its own way. So there are times, listen to me church, this is where you need to lean in. There are times when if wrestling 
with us doesn't work. God has to step it up and cripple us. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip socket was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. God dislocated Jacob's hip. What you see in that act is the grace of God and the greatness of God. Here's grace. Hold on to your pew. The grace is that God fought with Jacob all night instead of taking him out. Y'all not listening to me here. If, if you really thought about that, you wouldn't be able to finish the sermon because you upset that God wrestles with you there is an easier solution God has to deal with us. He could have checked us out of here a long time ago. But by his grace, he keeps wrestling. But there comes a point when, when God's patience runs out. And when you keep fighting back and won't submit, God has to step his game up, and he will go from wrestling to crippling us. When Jacob wouldn't stop fighting, God touched the socket of his hip and dislocated Jacob's hip. This is a wrestling match. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. The key to victory in a fight like this is to stay on your feet. Oh, Lord. But, but God dislocated his hip so that he couldn't stand on his own anymore. And let me show you how great God is. God didn't hit him. God didn't body slam him. God didn't put him in a submission hole. He just touched him. And dislocated his hip. Oh, praise God that he is gracious enough to wrestle in the dirt with you. But oh, friend, if you don't submit your agenda to his will, God knows how to cripple you. God does not fight fair. I am in no way suggesting that God is unjust. God is good, holy, just, righteous, and perfect. Being who he is, God doesn't use underhanded tactics but he will use, if you will, overhanded tactics. I don't know if that's a word. If it ain't, I baptize it and send it forth today. 
I'm trying to say he'll use his sovereign authority to trump your personal agenda. He'll use whatever power necessary to cripple you when you resist his will. God is determined to have his own way in your life, and he's going to do it even if he got to hurt you in the process. Have you ever had God to dislocate your agenda for life? He'll use sickness or a setback or a closed door, or hurt, or betrayal, or disappointment, so that you can't stand up on your own. And he cripples you, so you'll recognize you cannot make it on your own, and you are forced to depend on him. God is trying to make us look like Christ. And every one of us in here is in one or two postures. Either you are on the way or you are in the way. And whichever one it is, either way, it's going to hurt. But the pain can either be an end to your means or a means to your end. There's a third lesson, though, that determines the difference between the two. Learning to lose involves wrestling. Learning to lose involves Crippling, but learning to lose involves clinging. Clinging. I'm at verse 26. They've been fighting all day, all night that is. The sun is about to come up. The Lord says to Jacob, let me go for the day has broken. See what Jacob says in verse 26. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob, the heel grabber, had been victorious over his father Isaac, his brother Esau, and his uncle Laban. Now he faces an opponent that he cannot defeat. And when it is clear that this opponent will not be defeated, at some point, Jacob, this is another place to lean in, church, because this is the point of the whole sermon. At some point, Jacob stopped fighting and just started holding on. Y'all not in here with me. Little does he know this is where God wanted him all along. He wanted Jacob to stop heel grabbing and hustling. He wanted Jacob to recognize his own sinfulness and neediness and unworthiness. He wanted Jacob to cling to him for blessing and provision and strength and forgiveness and hope. I don't think you got it. Let me try it another way. The issue 
was not that Jacob had been grabbing heels. The issue is that Jacob had been grabbing the wrong heels. He tricked his daddy. He hurt his brother. He deceived his uncle to get blessings that never turned out the way he schemed. But when he figured out that he was fighting against the very one who was able to give him a real blessing, he stopped fighting and just started holding on for dear life and says, you can beat me up as long as you want to, but I will not let go until you bless me. Do you get it? The way to win is to surrender to God. Victory comes when wrestling against God turns into clinging to God. Life's real deepest and greatest blessings only come when you learn to cling to God alone. Clinging will lead to confession to God. Verse 26, I will not let you go until you bless me. Verse 27, and the Lord said to Jacob, what is your name? <laughs> okay, so when you're reading the Bible, let your attendance get up when God starts asking questions. When the, when the all-knowing God starts asking questions, let your antenna go up. What is your name? He says, Jacob. That one word answer is more than a statement of self-identification. It's a confession of guilt, need, and unworthiness. Jacob is not just who he is, it is what he is. He is Jacob, supplanter, trickster, deceiver, hustler. And it took God beating him up to get him to be honest about who he really was. The significance of this text is found in what happened the last time. Jacob was asked to identify himself. It's in Genesis 27, verse 19. When his old blind daddy asked his identity, Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's how Jacob rolled. He would be whoever he needed to be, and he would do whatever he needed to do to get what he wanted. But that's before God attacked him. When Jacob clutched to the Lord's feet, it allowed him to be honest about his heel-grabbing nature. Jacob's simple confession qualified him to receive blessings he had been hustling for all these years. Am I talking to you today? 
Have you been grabbing heels to get your needs met, goals accomplished, and desires satisfied? What I want you to know today, friend, is that everything you need is at the Lord's feet. C.S. Lewis said it well, that the one who has God, listen young people, the one that has God and other things has no more than the one who has God alone. As God gives you other things, praise him for it. But don't put your trust in other things because you'll face some stuff that your money can't buy you out of, your education can't think you through, and your connections can't pull you out of. But flip the record over and play the other side. If all you got is God, it doesn't matter what you don't have. Everything you need is at the Lord's feet. Got to run to the cross. Throw yourself on God's mercy and cling to Jesus no matter what. Isaiah 118, come now, says the Lord, let us reason together. Just come to me. Let's talk about it. Let's work this thing out. Though your sin be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, I'll make them white like wool. So clinging leads to confession. It also leads to conversion. Verse 27, what is your name, Jacob? Verse 28, good, finally, you've admitted who you are. I'm proud of you, Jacob. Now I got news for you. I knew all along who you were, just waiting on you to admit it. But now that you've confessed who you are, I declare you'll no longer be what you were. Your name has been Jacob, heel grabber, hustler, supplanter, trickster, deceiver. Now your name will be Israel. Israel means in its most literal sense, God fights. You missed it. You've been trying to do it on your own. And every time you look up, you got another battle to fight, another enemy to face, another opponent to overcome. But what the text is saying is, if you will just stop fighting and cling to Jesus, God will fight your battles for you. Is there a witness that he'll fight your battles? I told you, I got to move on. I told you God doesn't fight fair. That's bad news if you're fighting against him. It's good news if God is on your side. Read into the next chapter or the next book of the Bible, Exodus. Read about the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. An army is chasing them. 
a crowd of maybe more than a million or more crossing on dry ground through the Red Sea. Old people, sick people, children. The question you, you haven't asked, but you ought to ask is, how did this group of slaves, some of them old and sick and young and dying, outrun, y'all not in here with me, outrun the chariots of Pharaoh and his army. Exodus chapter 14 says that while Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and his horses were chasing, God took off their chariot wheels. Y'all not listening to me here. And they were stuck in the mud while the children of Israel crossed through. And God told the waters to close and Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. I'm trying to tell you, God doesn't fight fair. And if you just trust in him, he knows how to kick off the chariot wheels of your enemies so that you can make it safely through. You worried about who don't like you. You worried about who's talking against you. You you worried about who you just better make sure that you cling in to Jesus. And if you cling in to Jesus, he'll take care of you. This clinging leads to confidence in God. Look at verse 29 and 30. Jacob asks him, which is a weird question here. Of all the things to say at a moment like this, guess what Jacob said? But since you ask me, I'm going to ask you, what's your name? <laughs> Lord said, why you want to know my name? God wasn't being cagey. Jacob knew who it was. So he blessed him there. He blessed him with a blessing that Jacob had been hustling to get, but he had all along. Genesis 25 and 23. Before he was ever born, God told his mama, you're going to have two sons and the younger will reign over the older. He had this blessing before he was ever born, but he spent his life looking for joy in all the wrong places. And it wasn't until he clung to God that he found real confidence, assurance, and security. Do you know you can, you can have a blessing and not enjoy the blessing if you don't remember where your help came from? And so he wouldn't forget the experience. He named the place, verse 30, Penuel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. Oh, friend, God wants to give you not just blessing, but confidence that comes in knowing where your blessings come from. I know what it is to be smooth skinned like Jacob and enjoy blessings without being sure how you got them. But always when God takes you down to the mat, 
and you are forced to wrestle with God for yourself. God gets you to a place. Young people, he's going to get you to a place where you can no longer count on mama's faith and daddy's faith. J Jacob can no longer depend on Laban and Esau and none of them. He needed to know God for himself. Job 42, verse 5, Job said, I've heard of you from the hearing of the ear, but now I've seen you face to face. Anybody got Job's testimony that there was a time when I just heard what God can do, but now I've been through something and, and I don't need no reporter to give me breaking news. I know for myself that God will fight your battle. I need to show you one more thing. Learning to lose involves wrestling, crippling, clinging. Finally, learning to lose involves limping. Look at verse 31. The sun rose on him as he passed Penuel limping on his, on his hip. Watch what happens. God changed Jacob's name, but God did not heal Jacob's injury. He left the ring blessed but with a limp. And as far as we know, it's a permanent limp. It was such a famous limp that verse 32 has this strange little footnote that to this very day, Israel doesn't eat the sinew on the thigh of an animal in the hip socket. Not because it's not kosher, but because God dislocated Jacob's hip in the sandal of his thigh. This was a lesson meant for the ages to come. God would bless Jacob turned Israel. He would have land and houses and milk and honey, servants, cattle, sheep. Watch me now. But while he enjoyed all that, God didn't heal the hip so that he lived, let's just say, in a real big house. But every time he went to his big old living room, he had to limp to get there. Y'all not listening to me here. He had a big corporate executive job making a lot of money, but to get to work, he had to limp there. And every step he took was a reminder that what you have, God gave you. And where you are, God brought you. And what you know, God taught you. You are not blessed because of you. You are blessed because of what God has done for you. Why are you clapping? I stood to tell you, friend, 
You need a limp. I need a limp. We all need a limp. We, you need God to turn your arrogant strut into a humble limp. Y'all not listening to me here. A limp that demonstrates you know where your help come from. A hip that demonstrates you know who brought you, where he brought you from. A, a limp that announces that if it had not been, anybody in here with me? If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, tell me, where would I be? Anybody in this house today? I know it might be a strange phrase, but is anybody here that can say, thank God for my limp? Oh, praise his name. Thank God for my limp. I got good news for you, church. And the good news is you can live with a limp. You might have to cry sometimes, but you can live with a limp. People may talk about you, but you can live with a limp. Have I got a witness? It may be painful, but you can live with a limp. Let me tell you how I know. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, God blessed me real good with a heavenly vision. But so I wouldn't get conceited, he gave me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And he said, I went to the Lord and asked the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh because I thought there's no way I can preach with a limp. There's no way I can serve with a limp. There was no way I could minister with a limp. But the Lord told me I will not move the thorn in the flesh, but my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is perfected in your weakness. Is there anybody here that can testify? I'm living with a limp, but I'm making it by the grace of God. Every time I thought I'd fall, Oh, my story! Oh, my story. 
Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.